Well, friends, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to Acts chapter one. Is where we're gonna be this morning. Acts chapter one, verses one through eight. This week, many of us found ourselves uh, glued to a TV or a phone or a computer of a variety of sites watching what unfolded uh, in our nation's capital. We watched in horror as political protests turned violent yet again. We've been here before, it feels like, right? We made it, what, six days into 2021, um, but we... we We've, we've been here before. Uh, pastorally, as we watched uh, the United States Capitol overrun by those who at least appear, apparently wanted to make a political point, churches are wrestling. Do we say something? What do we say? How do we say the right thing? How do we not say the wrong thing? So uh, pastorally, let me just make this clear. And I don't think that anybody, at least at Catalyst, misunderstands that. I have not talked to an evangelical who said what happened is good and right, and that's Jesus's way. But pastorally, let me just make clear that's not our mission. Right? We are about some things. That's not necessarily one of them. Jesus was clear. My kingdom is not of this world. John 18, 36. He rebuked Peter when Peter, his uh, disciple, cut off a Roman centurion's uh, ear with a sword. Peter healed him. In, in the Christian worldview, we recognize that because of sin, there are times when force is necessary to use in the protection of the vulnerable and in, in the pursuit of uh, justice. We thank God for our armed forces. I want to talk to you this morning about getting personal with the mission of God. Getting personal with the mission of God, but we can't get personal with the mission of God until we repent of every other mission we might be tempted to jump into. When a groom stands in front of a congregation and pledges his allegiance to his bride, he forsakes all others. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you build your life upon his love, you are on his mission. You forsake all others. An unhealthy sense of nationalism, you must forsake it. Racism, you must forsake it. Your glory, you must forsake it. Your preferences over love for your neighbor, you must forsake it. Or you must not fool yourself. Jesus will not share you with another. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 14, he records Jesus saying this. He says, now great crowds accompanied Jesus. And he turned to them and said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then Jesus wraps it all up. He says, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has 
cannot be my disciple. So let me just come right out and ask it. Will you renounce all that you have in order to be a disciple of Jesus? Will you renounce all that you have in order to be a disciple of Jesus? Will you reorient all of the other preferences and desires of your heart as a disciple of Jesus? And if you have, is your life currently a good testimony to that? Somewhere along the line, somebody in your life or somebody who would come into your life said yes to Jesus. They counted the cost. They laid the foundation. They renounced all that they had to follow him. And then as they followed him, they met you and they got the gospel to you. It might have been a parent who taught you the gospel while you were young or a Sunday school teacher who carved out time every Sunday morning to meet with you and a bunch of other uh, people your age to teach you about the gospel. It might have been a neighbor or a friend, but they got the gospel to you, and you counted the cost, and you laid the foundation, and you renounced all that you had to follow him. For some of us, we've got to reach back a few decades to remember that day when we became a Christian, when we renounced all that we had, we said yes to Jesus and we laid it all down. For some of us, that was a long time ago, but we can remember it. Can you remember who got the gospel to you? Can you remember who it was who has helped you along your way to understand Jesus, helped you cross the line of faith? Do you remember those early days of following Jesus? It's good for us to remember our conversion and our early life as a disciple of Jesus. But as the great philosopher Walt Disney said, our past ought to be a springboard, not a hammock. We ought to remember our coming to Christ and who led us to Christ in those early days of following Christ, not in order to lay back into them as we would lay back into a hammock with no intention of going anywhere anytime soon, but we recall them as though we were stretching back the elastic on a slingshot, getting ready to be thrust out into the rest of our lives with a furious sense of purpose. That's what we find in the book of Acts the story of the early church. And again, I do hope Tuesday night, 6.30, you'll jump on that Zoom call with us as we open up the book of Acts and apply it to our lives. We read it and we meditate on it and we recall it, this book of Acts, the story of the early church, not as though it were a hammock in which we rest our bodies lazily, but knowing that it is a springboard and a slingshot meant to catapult you into the world today to make an impact for Jesus. I wanna talk to you this morning about getting personal with the mission of God. Getting personal with the mission of God. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter one, verses one through eight, we're gonna be considering those first eight verses. And I want you to see three aspects of the mission of God. Three aspects of the mission of God. Number one, I want you to see the proximity of the mission. We're going to walk backwards through this text and begin with verse eight, and we're going to end with verse one. That's weird, but it'll make sense as we go. All right. The resurrected Jesus said to the disciples, verse eight of Acts chapter one, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And with those words, Jesus leaves them. 
With those words, Jesus ascends into the heavens, and that's the last word. Now, last words are meant to be lasting words. These are the words which Jesus intended to echo throughout the book of Acts. And so, as we read the book of Acts, and as we read the early church suffering as Peter and James were uh, imprisoned, we're, we're meant to hear Jesus say, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. As we read the conversion of of uh, Saul, who we know is Paul. We're meant to hear these words ring throughout the book of Acts as we get to Acts chapter 13 and we hear the Holy Spirit through the church uh, sending out Paul and Barnabas onto the mission field. We're meant to hear these words ringing as we read about Paul being imprisoned in Rome at the end of Acts. We're meant to hear these words ringing throughout the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to see the proximity of the mission, how near it is and how far it goes. Jesus gives us some geographic markers here. Now, theologians have speculated as to why Jesus chose these specific places and uh, not others and why he put them in this specific order and not others. I mean, if you were to say, okay, beginning with the cultural capital of the East Coast, obviously Newport News, Virginia, right? And you were to get the gospel to the East Coast, where would you go next? Would you go to D.C.? Would you go down south? Would you go up to New York City? Then where would you go? What's the order you would put geographic locations in? So Jesus put these geographic places, and theologians have disagreed, speculated why he chose these specific places, put them in this specific order. Brent Crow suggests that he began with Jerusalem because he knew that Jerusalem would be hardest. He said, start with the hardest place first. Jerusalem is the most contested piece of property on planet Earth even today. So Brent Crow says, Jesus said, man, make disciples there and then go uh, to the rest of the world. But do you see the proximity of it? Do we need to care about Jerusalem? Yes. Do we need to care about Judea and Samaria? Yes. Do we need to care about the Ping Diao people group in China and the people in Washington, D.C.? Yes. We need to wrestle with the proximity, the nearness, how close it is and how far it reaches of the mission. Now, Catalyst has wrestled with the, proxi- with the tension of proximity of the mission since before the church began. Catalyst Church exists to be a healthy church within walking distance of CNU that helps people everywhere. We manage the tension of being collegiate-minded and not collegiately exclusive, and, and we're okay with that. Early on in the life of Catalyst Church, I was in a room full of pastors. Uh, it was sort of a, a, a workshop, and uh, we hadn't yet planted the church, and the speaker pointed at me, um, and, and I was sitting next to my friend, Rob Shepard, and the speaker pointed at me and said, who are you going to reach with this church catalyst? And I said, well, I, those on and around the campus of Christopher Newport University. So he pointed at me again, and he said, who's it going to be? Is it going to be the college students or the community? And and I I said, well, um, both. And he pointed at me and he said, it'll never work. You have to choose. You have to choose. And then he quoted Mel Gibson from The Patriots. Some of you will remember this. Aim small, miss small. I get what he's saying, but I don't buy it. Didn't then, still don't now, because here's the deal. When a firefighter or a rescue worker runs into a burning building, they're not looking for a specific type of people. 
right? There are no people groups on a rescue mission. Now, what we, we do a lot of collegiate work and we're unapologetic for that. I think it must be both. We are comfortable living in the tension of being collegiate-minded but not excluding the community. I think it's wise and healthy. I think it's important that we reach college students and those who work on the college campus. This week, I received an email from a, a CNU student, a young lady who said, Jeff, I need to be discipled. I want to grow as a follower of Jesus, and I've been to a couple of different churches. I need an older woman to invest in me. Can, can Catalyst help? I said, man, that's what we do, right? And in, within a couple hours, I connected her to a, a woman here at Catalyst who's going to begin meeting with her regularly. A buddy of mine who's a campus minister at CNU had one of his students tell him recently, I'm sick and tired of crying in front of my computer alone. A uh, CNU worker who's worked there for 20 years recently said, for the first time in 20 years, I hate my job. And it has nothing to do with CNU. It's just plain discouragement right now. People need the gospel on the campus of universities. But does that mean that we ignore the rest of the neighborhood? No, of, of course not. I want to show you a picture. See if we can pull this picture up on the screen. There you go. That little white dot that you can't really see is us. It's where you're sitting right now. Those green and yellow and orange dots and dark blue, if the color were better, um, that's on me, uh, show homes in the neighborhood around us. That little, there's a little squiggly bunch of lines up at the top, that's seeing you. Now, shame on us if we get so focused on the squiggly lines that we miss all the green and yellow and orange dots. I think that the mission is both and. There are around 2,200 homes within a one mile radius of where you're sitting right now. There are almost half a million people on the peninsula and seven out of 10 people in Virginia do not have a relationship with Jesus. And they all need the gospel. So, when Jesus spoke to the disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he didn't say, um, I want you to go, uh, I want you to go to Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth. He said, and he said, and I think it's important that as we wrestle with the proximity of the mission, how close it is and how far it goes, we need to remember that these homes matter, college student matters, everybody matters. We need to get the gospel to them. Jerusalem mattered, Judea and Samaria mattered, the ends of the earth mattered. Do you see it? Do you see the proximity of the mission? And are you seeing it as a springboard? If I were to zoom out on that map, I would eventually get to your house or your apartment and where you live, and you would see little green dots and yellow dots all around you. God has positioned us to reach people. He has positioned you to reach people. This is a springboard. This verse ought to catapult you into a passion for global missions. Pray for missionaries. Go to joshuaproject.net and begin praying for the 7,400 unreached people groups around the world. Don't close your eyes intentionally to the global proximity of the mission. And don't let your head get so buried in the sand of your own sandbox that you fail to see those in need of the mission. Now, for some of us, this is overwhelming, but we need to see it. The proximity of the mission might be tempting to, 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 to cause you to shrink back, but it's meant to propel you forward. This leads us to our second point. We can go back to the other slide with the three points. 
Second point, understand the power of the mission. Understand the power of the mission. Beginning in verse four, Luke records, and while staying with him, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus wanted his disciples, and I think he wants you to know that you are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit for any spiritual power. Recognizing your dependence on the Holy Spirit is not an act of spiritual childishness or immaturity which you need to grow out of. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. The more spiritually mature you become, the quicker you are to recognize and acknowledge your dependence on the Spirit of God. I think there are two markers of spiritual maturity which every believer ought to be intentionally pursuing. Number one, they are easily edified. They are easily edified, easily encouraged. Number two, they know just how dependent on the Holy Spirit they are. Just how dependent they are on the Holy Spirit. The power is in and with the Spirit. Jesus ties the giving of the Spirit to power for the mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That word power occurs 10 times in the book of Acts. Sometimes it refers to miracles, sometimes to enablement. Think of it this way. God has placed his Holy Spirit in every believer in order to advance the mission through two things, doing and speaking. Doing and speaking, our works and our words. As you read the book of Acts, you're gonna notice that every time that the Spirit is uh, is noted as being upon somebody, they speak, they preach, they share the gospel. Christian, you are enabled, powerfully enabled, Holy Spirit powerfully enabled for the mission. Some of us would do well to spend some time in 2021 thinking about the power that God intends to work in and through us. In his helpful book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, J.I. Packer surveys the place of spiritual power in the life of a believer. He looks all throughout scripture and gives a paragraph in which he summarizes what he finds. He concludes that paragraph with this sentence. Power from Christ through the spirit is a theme that should always be given prominence whenever and wherever Christianity is taught. So do you feel powerful? Believer, do you feel powerful? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells and works in you. Do you feel powerful? Paul said, Philippians chapter two, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you powerfully, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you feel powerful? The same spirit that unlocked the prison gates in the book of Acts works in your life. The same spirit that converted people in the books of, book of Acts is at work in our world. Do you feel powerful? And do you realize that whether you feel like it or not, in Christ, through the spirit, you are? 
Your feeling is rarely a good indicator of truth. Your feeling is rarely a good indicator of what God is actually doing, especially in in your sanctification and in your power. So do you feel powerful? And if you were to look at your life, would you conclude that you are actively dependent on the Holy Spirit? Or would you conclude that you are passively dismissive of the Holy Spirit? If you're going to get personal with the mission of God, you must become actively dependent on the Holy Spirit. Finally, point number three, embrace the personal responsibility of the mission. We've seen the proximity. We've understood the power. And now we embrace the personal responsibility of the mission. It may feel like an odd way to end, but let's look at the beginning. Acts chapter one, verses one through three. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Key word there. My Bible, I circled it. If you circle in your Bible, that's a good one to circle. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, Luke provides a number of contextual clues that help us understand his intent and aim in writing this account. Notice he addresses the book to an individual, Theophilus. Now, while there's disagreement over who Theophilus is, there is no disagreement over the fact that every biblical author wrote in order to stir their readers to action. Luke was not interested in merely informing Theophilus. But he wanted to confront Theophilus with the personal responsibility that the gospel demands. Remember, we said earlier, you, can, you can't read the, uh, maybe we didn't say it earlier, we say it here. You cannot read the book of Acts and walk away thinking, oh, neat story. You're invited in. You're meant to be drawn in. It's a, it's, you're pulling back the elastic on the slingshot in order to be thrust out with that furious sense of purpose. You've been invited in. So Luke explains, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he goes on to tell the stories of Peter and James and John and Paul and the others, the men and women who were involved in the early church. In other words, he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now I'm going to tell you all that Jesus continued to do and teach through these men and women. There is a continuity between the Gospels in which we see Jesus do and teach directly and the book of Acts in which we see Jesus do and work and teach through the early church. Some translations of the Bible will actually title the book of Acts, the Acts of Jesus Christ, which he performed through the apostles. So do you feel a sense of personal responsibility for the mission? There is a common mission throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. If you read the Gospels, the story of the life of Jesus, and then you read the book of Acts, you see the same mission. Here's the deal, believers. I should be able to read the Gospels, the story of the life of Christ, and then read the book of Acts, the story of the early church. And then I should be able to read the story of your life, and I should see the same mission all the way through. There's continuity of the mission. 
There's continuity of the mission. Your life is a continuation of the work of Jesus Christ in the world. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you feel a personal responsibility for the mission? He came to seek and to save the lost. Do you feel a personal responsibility for the mission? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Luke felt this sense of personal responsibility. At the end of Paul's life, he wrote his last letter, 2 Timothy. And he gets to the end of 2 Timothy, and listen to what he writes. He says, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So uh, uh, Demas left on bad terms. We assume the others left on good terms. But he's all alone. And then he says this, Luke alone is with me. Ah, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. The apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome and had been deserted by Demas. Luke alone was with him. Luke felt a personal responsibility for the mission, and he was with Paul. For the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts, Luke, the author, uses third-person pronouns. To them, Jesus uh, presented himself alive, Acts chapter one, verse three. As they, referring to James and John, were speaking to the people, Acts chapter four, verse one. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, Barnabas and Saul, went down to Seleucia, Acts chapter 13, verse four. But something happens around the beginning of Acts chapter 16. We're not given any of the details, but there is a significant shift in the pronouns It's a monumental moment in which Paul has a dream when a Macedonian man asks him to come help them. It's a decision which marks the entrance of the gospel into what we know as Europe. Listen to how Luke describes the scene. Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you see it? It's not them, it's not they, it's not him, it's not her, it's we, it's us. Luke is on the mission. Luke had embraced the personal responsibility of the mission of God. He was no longer writing about what they were doing, but about what we were doing. Here's the question. Have you, have you embraced the personal responsibility of the mission of God? God intends to use you to reach your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers for him. He doesn't intend for me to reach them. He intends for you to reach them. That's why he put you there. You are not meant to watch others be active in the mission of God. It's been said that the church is sometimes like an NFL or we'll go with SEC football game, right? Which the illustration fails right now, but normally, right? You have thousands, tens of thousands of people watching uh, who are in desperately need of exer- desperate need of exercise watching uh, a handful of guys who are in desperate need of rest. Normally, that's how the church works, right? What, what's Luke saying? He's saying, man, let's, let's flip that. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's get personally involved in the mission. I know that there are a lot of things preventing us from connecting with others right now. But do you know what many of those things are? They're excuses. 
They're excuses. You can still reach out to that friend with a phone call. You can meet up and study the Bible. Yes, you can do it and stay six feet apart. You can jump on Zoom. You can double down on your prayers for the lost. You cannot ignore the personal responsibility of the mission. Now, maybe you're thinking, Jeff, that sounds great and all, but to be honest, I feel more like the mission field than a missionary. I need someone to reach me before I reach someone else. I want you to know that someone has reached you, Jesus himself. In John chapter four, Jesus reaches a woman from Samaria. She was engrossed in the type of sin that would make both you and I blush if I talked about it too much. She knew shame, she knew brokenness, she knew alienation because of what she had done. In fact, it's, it's so bad that she's coming out to a well to draw water in the middle of the day because she knew that's the time when nobody else would be there. But Jesus right there at that well meets her, heals her, and forgives her of her sin. And just as sure as he met her that day, he can meet you on this day. Just as sure as he forgave her sins, he can forgive your sins. He can make you new. All you have to do is receive him by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is the repeated message preached throughout Acts. And if that's you, the Bible calls us to demonstrate that faith through believers' baptism. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It is a simple act of faith, so simple that a child can do it, yet so marvelous that we'll spend the rest of our lives understanding it. And we get to celebrate this gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day, and that's our salvation. We get to celebrate this gospel through communion this morning. So I'm gonna invite you, if you're a believer in Jesus, to reach into that pew in front of you and grab that communion cup.